G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. What a privilege it is to sit here with a man who's been described as, well, one of our fathers, I guess is probably a good way to describe you because you've been around and a lot of people look up to you, Ravi Zacharias. Welcome. Thank you, Phil. Very nice to be here in Sydney on a beautiful day. It is a lovely day. You know, the glory of God is, is all around us when we look for it. And I guess that's really at the heart of, of what you're communicating is to, to help people to see God in everyday life and understand his word and to be able to, to defend his word. How many years have you been doing that now? Uh, quite a long time. Uh, I'm at 72 now, which is hard to believe. And I started when I was uh, in my 20s. Uh, at age 26, so it's been 46 years full-time with few breaks for studies, but never uh, gone from the world of evangelism. And then I did a three-year stint uh, teaching at a seminary in Nyack, New York. But even during those days, uh, I was—I really saw myself as an itinerant. So since uh, 1972 uh, till now, uh, and I've been married that long as well, I've, I've seen myself as an itinerant speaker. And uh, congratulations for your your wife, I suppose, more than you surviving that that schedule. Because I imagine you've had to do a lot of travel. Yeah, congratulations to her for uh, putting up with this. You know, uh, both of us realized that it was going to be a different kind of life, but you don't know it until you're uh, in the journey. Uh, what kind of life it actually is, and you still never know till you're breast of the tape. But uh, it took a very special kind of woman to uh, understand this call. Uh, I know it could have been very hard on her if she had sensed the call herself. Some people might listen to some of your teaching and and read some of your work and think, well, this is all very academic. But let's go back to that day where you had that realization of who God is. Because as I understand it, that was that was a very dramatic moment in your life and a, and a dramatic realization that went straight to the heart. Well, uh, and you know, that it can be a danger if you become too academic. Uh, the interesting thing is I've got the other criticism too, too anecdotal, uh, you know, a lot of uh, story and illustration. And I think that's the best balance you need to have. You have to build an argument, but you have to have an illustration, and then there has to be the application. Uh, the questions of the God's existence do have to go into the academic side of it because we get critiqued academically, uh, whether it's the scientist or the philosopher or the ethicist or the artist. Uh, so you have to, but you can't stop there. Uh, the fact of the matter is uh, you have to walk on two feet of truth and relevance. And truth, by definition, is exclusive, so you have to make the argument to defend the exclusivity. But relevance is the story, the illustration, and the arts. Frankly, the longer I am with the, in the Christian walk, the more I realize how beautifully Jesus balanced the two. Uh, academically, he went back across history. You know, he told the whole story on Emmaus Road of how all the way back to Abraham and uh, the, the reality of God's work in history. But at the 
same time, he was the best teller of stories and parables. Every life is a story, Phil. Every life is a story. And what Byron said is so often true. Youth is a mistake, manhood is a struggle, and old age is a regret. Well, how do you change that paradigm? How can you make youth itself a wonderful time of wisdom and choice? By knowing the truth. And when Jesus said, if the truth shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. True freedom is not the freedom to do whatever you want, but the strength to do what you should. And isn't it interesting, even as I'm talking to you, how many issues of ethics come up every day, whether it's the Supreme Court justice, or whether it's actors and actresses, or whether it's storyline. Uh, and so moral questions always haunt us. And morality is a real realm of understanding that we need to have. Then we have to know what the source of our moral reasoning and moral thinking is. If there are absolutes and you cross the poles, you end up with a cross circuit and you can't afford that. So if we are moral beings, how did that happen? That did not happen with the random collocation of atoms. We obviously believe right is unalterably so and wrong is unalterably so. And it is not just the moment that decides it. So that, to me, uh, is one of the strongest intimations of the existence of God, that we are here by design, we are here by purpose, we are here to do that which is right, not anything we wish to do. These days of political correctness, that's not uh, not a popular message for many people. And here in Australia, very much so, it's increasing in volume, the number of people that are actively standing against even the very idea of God, shouting down that you believe in fairy tales. You've been coming to Australia for a long time now. Your first trip here was, was in the 70s. What have you observed over that time about the change in our culture and where we are today? And what does that mean for us as believers in the way that we communicate the truth of God in the marketplace? Uh, when I came here in the 70s, uh, I was uh, 31 years old. I came here in 1977. My daughter Naomi and my daughter Sarah was just two years old. My wife, we'd been married a few short years, five years at that time. Uh, I was on a 15-country trip, uh, 48 straight weeks back-to-back. We traveled together. Australia was the least inspiring of all the places I'd been to spiritually. I thought I was going to die out here spiritually. I mean, the average audience I was speaking to was about 40, 45. I was in French's Forest here, Bochum Hills, and then went on to Brisbane and Newcastle, Perth and all of that. But it was a good place to cut your teeth, you know. We had some tough questioners. I was at Macquarie and the University here in Sydney. Uh, beautiful country, you know. I'd always wanted to come here because of its beauty, uh, thousands of miles of uh, coastline type thing but also I loved cricket. Some of my most favorite cricketers came from here O'Neill and uh, Neil Harvey and all that sort of dates me going back into the 60s. But it was not a spiritually exhilarating place to be. But now as I have come back a few times I mean just uh, two days ago I was in Perth uh, and uh, you know the, the Sunday there was a total of about 8,000 uh, in attendance and the amazing thing was not just that there were that many but the number of young people people. Uh, when you have spent what you have and come away empty, uh, you know that's not where it's at. I, I don't have to tell a pleasure-seeking person that you come away empty at the end of the day. They know it, but the fact is they have to, they then want, what about God? Well, is this nonsensical? Is this a fairy story or what? No. Life consists of four basic questions, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. 
Where did I come from? What does life mean? How do I differentiate good and evil? What happens to a human being when he or she dies? Answering those first questions, those four questions really forms your worldview. Okay, so everybody has a, that worldview formed. And I believe in the answers of Jesus Christ. Categorically, I state this. Only in the answers of Jesus Christ can each one of those questions be answered with correspondence to reality. And when all of those four are answered, that there's going to be a coherence to the answers. You know, we talk of political correctness. Just think of the oxymoronic way of thinking. The, the institution we all least trust is politics, you know, the way we do, uh, the way we make decisions. Yeah, you know, that's politics. Ah, he's a politician. They do this and all. Pragmatism is what we imply. And yet, where do we hang our ethics? On the very institution we least trust. What that really means is if politics is reduced to power, then ethics is reduced to power as well. We just want the autonomy of power, but we simply cannot live that way, especially now in this pluralistic society. So if, if countries like Australia and all don't hark back and ask the question, what is our what are our values going to be based on? Very soon they will find themselves in the minority and on the outside looking in as all the values have been hijacked and there's no memory of the past and no real hope for the future as well. What would you say to, uh, to somebody who's thinking, wow, Ravi Zacharias explains that so well, but I'm not Ravi Zacharias. I, I, I don't have confidence when somebody asks me a question. How would you encourage them? Well, uh, that would be a sad response, actually, you know, because thank God uh, he makes just one of each one of us. If he really wanted a lot to be replicated, he would have done so. He's able to do that. Every one of us has a unique reach and a very unique voice, a very unique realm in which we live. Uh, my father was highly educated. My mother was educated, but not that high. My mother was more of a country gal. She, her English was very uh, awkward, uh, but she was an amazing woman. And of the two that had the impact on my life, it was not my dad. My dad had a master's in history. His father was a professor. His grandfather was a lawyer. My dad's father was just an ordinary little businessman who ran a printing press. But what I watched in her life had a much greater impact on me than what my dad did, albeit my dad's life changed towards the end. Uh, let's never underestimate the power of a life. You know, I was walking this morning, I'd taken some clothes to a laundry nearby, and I saw a woman talking to a guy sitting on the side of the street road there, a homeless guy, obviously. And I thought, you know, what caused this woman to stop and talk to this gentleman here? Obviously, some degree of compassion. Does she, is she a professor? Is she highly educated? Is she an intellectual? Is she just a caring woman who wanted to engage this guy holding on to a mug of coffee? Life consists in touching other people's lives to draw the best out of them. And that's why Jesus would talk to those who were the hurting and the wounded of this world. It was not just the Saul of Tarsus, not just the Nicodemuses. He talked to the woman at the well. He talked to the woman with the alabaster ointment. talked to the woman who had been taken in adultery. And you see the ordinary people, the tax collector, who was not really the most popular person in culture. Jesus reached across a broad breadth of humanity because we all have one thing in common. We're all depraved. The depravity of man is the most common thing we share with every other human being. And we all need a change of heart. And there's one Savior. 
That's brilliant. I could sit here and talk with you all day, but I know you don't have all day. One, one final question. We're in broadcasting, obviously. We're passionate about what we do in connecting God's word into the power and the reach of media to connect it with people. You're no stranger to media. What have your observations been about the combination of those two things over the years? If I ever went into media, I would go into radio rather than television. Television is a very powerful medium, and I don't want you to take anything away from it, but television has the extraordinary capacity to distort uh, because it's an image medium, and image and pictures can often bypass uh, genuine thought. Uh, Radio would have a harder time with that because with radio you're alone listening to an idea and uh, there's no face that you can see, there's no picture that you can see, you're processing thoughts. I think radio is still one of the most powerful ways of communicating to people. And that's where a lot of people today actually even listen to voice while they're working out or while they're driving. Uh, It's because oftentimes you're alone and you may be driving at midnight. So I have senators and people in high positions writing to us in Atlanta saying, you know, I was driving along a mountain road. It was 11 o'clock at night. I was listening to your radio program. I have policemen from New York writing and saying, I do the beat at midnight and I put the radio program on. There's something powerful about listening to a voice when you are all alone and in need of hearing something to open up your own heart. So what you're doing in Radio Phil, may God continue to bless and increase your impact. It cannot be gainsaid. I think when the Lord said to us, greater things than these shall ye do, what he has done, his presence was so indispensable to what he was communicating, but he's given us the capacity to communicate to people even when we're not present with them. And so I think your work is amazing, and we hear letters. Uh, How did 8,000 people show up at birth? Uh, It's the way the media work, long before we got there. It's not because we've been there. It's because the work of the media takes your voice, speaks to people where they are, and then they want to come come and listen. Uh, I hope your best years are ahead, and I hope you will continue to doing what you're doing. You never know. Only eternity will reveal what kind of impact you all really had. Robbie Zacharias, thank you so much. Thanks, Phil. Uh, Great to be with you, and thanks for asking me to do this. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.